Welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. We're your hosts, Emily and Dawson. And in today's episode, we are doing a Q&A. Um, so yeah, we got a lot of really good questions. So we're really excited to go over these. Um, okay, so we're going to kick a, kick off this episode with a funny question. Um, it's, are hot dogs really that bad for you? And I guess it's funny because like we're both vegan. So it's like, what? Like, what do you want us to say? Um, but I guess we're going to put that aside and actually like go into it more. Um, and yeah, so I just want to start by saying that um, like processed meat is not exactly healthy because it does contain, you know, nitrates. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that um, it can cause cancer. So I would say, no, it's not healthy. Can you have it in moderation? Like say you go to New York city, like once every five or 10 years and you want to get a hot dog. Um, yeah, sure. In moderation, that's fine. Um, but you know, bottom line, I say it's not healthy. What about you? You know, I'm going to agree. Oh, wow. Voice crack. I'm going to agree there. Um, definitely like everything in moderation. Um, real just side note here. Emily said it off air and I immediately, my mind immediately jumped to, yeah, not everything in moderation because of cocaine in moderation is still not good for you. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't get that. I can't get that out of my head right now. Um, yeah, no, like definitely having like one every once in a while is definitely not going to be horrible for you. However, most like hot dogs you see out there that you get from different places are going to be made with non-organic um, meats. So you're going to be getting a lot of um, treated, probably some hormones as well in there, some not so good stuff on top of those nitrates that Emily just mentioned, which are shown to be a carcinogen, which are cancer causing agents. So definitely something that you don't want to have too much of all the time. But again, like moderation here these are something that treat yourself every once in a while if that's like what you fancy but don't go overboard yeah definitely like there's a time if you know in place to treat yourself but and again like we're talking to non-vegans like obviously I wouldn't you know eat a hot dog because I don't eat meat but um you know if you're not vegan and you eat meat regularly you want to have a hot dog you know every now and then occasionally it's fine. Just, it's not something that I would say is good to have on a regular basis. So one note there, um, for those omnivores out there, when you're looking at like different meat products, you're going to want to go with something organic, um, grass fed, cage free range raised. That's not the right term. What's up? Pasture raised. Thank you. Um, for most of your meats, because those are going to be probably the highest quality you can get in most stores. Um, Again, you want to stay away from the more conventional brands because sometimes those are going to have a bit more of that hormone treatment in there and some more pesticides just due to their feed. So there's something to be mindful of. Yeah. Is there like, isn't there a difference in the nutrition content um, depending on that? Like I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. It's not something I've looked into yet. It's not so much like the nutritional content in terms of the macronutrients as it is micronutrients. Oh yeah. That's what I meant. More, yeah, no, 100% though. So more organic meats are going to have a pretty, a, kind of a more diverse micronutrient profile and a bit more of a um, kind of micronutrient rich one because again, it's going to be a bit more natural, um, not so much like heavily treated to the point where those micro mineral micronutrients are then like kind of like, I don't want to say killed out, but they're not as prevalent, if you will. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. At least my understanding. Okay, yeah. 
it's not something I've looked into personally because um, so far the people I've coached are vegans. So it's not something I've ever had to like look into for people who are not. And it's not something I've ever looked into for myself um, as a vegan as well. But yeah, I mean, that is good to know. So yeah. Quality matters. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about shoulder development, growing bolder shoulders, because we all want that. Um, so we all, we all want 3d shoulders. We all want 3d shoulders. Yes. Currently that is my mission in life. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the medial delt, the anterior delt and the rear delts, because the rear delts are often very much neglected. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about, you know, um, exercises, techniques, and just the way that the muscle functions and how you train it really well. So yeah, let's start with the medial delt. Yeah. So on any type of medial delt movement, um, as of right now, my go-to is definitely lateral raises or Y raises even to an extent. Um, with these, which I just made a post today on these, and if you go and like watch my Instagram, my stories when I do train shoulders, you'll notice in any type of lateral raising movements, I'm kind of hinged forward. So my torso is kind of pushed forward a little bit. However, the path of my arms are still going out to the side and up, just like it would be in like standing tall, if you will. Doing so, like you can literally see this in a mirror, like you're um, doing so is going to make your medial delts actually like truly pop more. And I, I personally feel a lot more engagement doing that. Um, with these as well, you don't want your arm going straight out to your side at a like 90 degree angle, if you will. It's going to put a lot of tension on that anterior delt actually and kind of take away from that medial delt um you want like 30 engagement. degrees yeah you want like yeah. 30 degrees of um abduction so with that forward lean and you know if you haven't tried doing them that way like strongly suggest it like even if you're doing um like a chest supported variation with a bench like have the bench so that you're leaning forward just a little bit like i put it usually on like the second notch from 90 degrees like for me that's my sweet spot um for that and, and then, yeah even if you're doing them like sitting down um I like to put something under my feet so that I can like more comfortably like hinge forward even if I'm sitting down just so I can get that same angle and it also helps because if you're someone who like accidentally uses a little bit of momentum like a seated variation is great because for me like I really have this theory that like I'm using momentum even when I don't think I am so that's why one because I do like a lot of lateral raises and like Y raise variations. So um like I really do prefer ones where I'm sitting or leaning against a bench because I do tend to use momentum. But I do have like one uh you know exercise where I'm standing for lateral raises and that I do go a bit heavier, but that's because I probably am using some momentum, but it's a good variety, you know, working with heavier weights and then some lighter ones that where there's like better isolation. So yeah. yeah. Um, one note with these, and this is actually a trick that I use with my um, in-person clients, is I want you guys to, like, if you can right now, just stand up or, like, sit up where you are and just raise your arms out to your side. Just naturally, like, not forcing them in any directions. Literally just from your side, just pull them up to where they're about shoulder level. Here, you'll notice that your arms come slightly forward in front of you naturally. And then if you try to push it back to that full 90 degrees out to your side, you're going to feel it take some effort. You're going to feel a little, like you're going to feel your anterior delt kind of stretching a little bit more there. Um, so when doing a lateral raise, we want to be working in that more natural plane of motion there. So almost coming up to, as Emily mentioned, like kind of like a 30 degree adductive angle in towards your body here, depending on how you're looking at it. 
Um, and you're going to want to be staying in that path of motion. With that, anytime I'm doing a lateral raise, I'm always thinking about pushing the weight up, out, and away from me rather than pulling up, if you will. Lead with your elbows or pinkies, whichever kind of works for you there, and don't hump the air. That's all I got. Yeah. Oh, and you don't want to turn your pinkies up. That's a cue that some people use. They say that that's like more medial delts, but really it's not. Like you don't need to turn your pinkies up. Just have your you know, hands as they naturally are. Like you don't need to start like changing your wrist position. Like that literally does nothing for your shoulders except make the movement more awkward and complicated. So lead with your elbows, not the hands. <laughs> so yeah. Um, okay. So anterior delts, that's going to be, you know, your front delt. Um, and so something with that, um, that I think a lot of people do incorrectly for like a long period of time is they press with their elbows all the way pinned back and like to the side and, or they have the bench and it's like straight up and down like a straight 90 degree angle. Um, you don't want that. You, I like to lean the bench back. Like, so, okay. So say the bench is on 90 degrees. Um, I don't lean it back like one notch. I lean it back the second one for me personally, that works the best. Um, some people may prefer, a little higher or lower of an incline. It's really just personal preference and kind of like your structure, but that's what I prefer. Um, and yeah, um, I also don't like let my elbows come down like super low. Like I try to keep my elbows like around shoulder height, um, maybe like an inch below, but I find that if I let them go too far below, even though it's like more range of motion, like, I don't know what it is, but I find that my like lats take over at that point, which is really weird, but that's why I like to stay in like, I guess it's a smaller range of motion, but that I feel that that's the right range of motion for my anterior delts. Um, so I'm just throwing it out there in case anyone has a similar, uh, issue. So yeah. You know, Going at to the point where you're only lowering, like just below that shoulder level, like Emily mentioned, is going to hold a lot more tension on those anterior delts without letting another muscle like the lats per se, or even like the triceps kind of take over that movement as you dip below that range. Um, one other thing here is similarly to our lateral raises, we want to kind of have our, our arms um, adducted inwards toward your midline of your body again, so you're not flared out at 90 degrees at your sides. Doing that at 90 degrees is gonna put a lot of tension on your rotator cuff and on your shoulder joint itself. Not the healthiest thing long-term. Some people can get away with it, A-okay. However, I have seen more and more recently that a lot of people who, I've, who have been doing that for a long period of time, they don't have the best shoulder health. Yeah. So again, like thinking about like 30 degrees adducted inward so you can almost see your arms and your peripheral vision. And then, uh, again, like driving straight up overhead, just like you would normally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's see, was there anything? If you guys want a visual reference on that, go check out my latest Instagram post, yes. shameless plug. Yeah, check it out. It's really good. Um, yeah, so, oh, so the pressing, um, that would be pressing in the scapular plane. So, like, yep. that's where you're, you don't have your elbows all the way pinned back. You have that, you know, they're basically, this is how you find where, you know, your ideal pressing motion is just take your arm and raise it straight up overhead and wherever your arms naturally go, there you go. That's your, um, where you would press. Does that make sense? Like just raise them in front of you. And that is your range of motion or where you, does that make sense? I feel like I'm not very good at explaining, but no, listen, that, yeah. that makes sense. I need 
I wish people had like a visual representation here, but um, essentially like what Emily's saying is with both hands, like almost like go like you're punching up in front of you and then lower your arms again, just like you would be uh, lowering just below the shoulder level. And you'll probably be in your natural pressing position. Uh, again, we say in front of you because like you can force your arms to your sides and punch up. But again, you want that natural path of motion, similar to when I just had you do um, raising your full arm up your side for your lateral raises. Same general concept, and more likely than not, it's going to be in a very similar range. Yeah. Yeah, it's just something to experiment with so you can figure out, you know, what you should be doing. Um, and then, this yeah. This is why so, you send your coach training videos. Yes. Don't skimp on that part. Like, don't, like, you're seriously missing out. It's really important. Um, so, okay, so rear delts. Um, so there is like, I just want to start out this out by saying that um, if you have limited equipment like me, I train from home. Um, I like only have like a cable machine that attaches to the top of my squat rack. So I can't do all the fancy cable things. So um, I've improvised. So I've kind of figured out a way to do face pulls where they really do work the rear delts pretty well. And so I just want to talk about like how I set that up. So I like hook my feet around part of the squat rack um, so that I'm stable, like the bottom part. And then I like to like kind of lean back a little bit, but I keep my shoulders like sort of like rolled, almost like rolled forwards a little bit. And then I think about um, taking my pinkies and my thumbs and I'm, I have my arms up here and I'm like pulling to my ears, if that makes sense, but I keep my elbows higher. So I think like thumbs to ears and I have my hands, like, instead of out like this, very slightly in like this. And does that make sense? So, yes. and I, so I pull my fast before we continue here, yeah, what she's saying, like her hands like this, it's meaning, um, instead of having your palms flat to the front as you're pulling, they're going to be almost at these 45 degree angles out. So as you're pulling yes. your face, it's going to be a bit more natural versus trying to have your hands fake flat to the front. And then like, kind of like, oh, how do you, you explain that? Yeah. Like how do you, you, you want to have like a natural wrist, wrist position here. Your wrist is going to naturally fall into like a turnout here as you're gripping the rope pulling, allow that to happen. Don't try and like force your wrist into a different position. Yeah. So, you know, instead of having your wrists facing straight in front of you, let your wrist turn a little bit just so that they're following your natural arm path. It's kind of hard to explain because like we can see each other. We're like doing it as we record this in the video, but it, yeah, it's a little bit different to explain, but um, especially because I'm more of like a visual learner and I teach better like visually. Um, so, but yeah, so then what I also do is I make sure that I don't pull my arm behind my behind my head or my torso because when you do that then you start engaging the traps a lot more um and you want to really keep the tension on the rear delts um it does still involve the traps there's the rhomboids and terry's minor those are still going to be involved but just depending on how you angle yourself um, with the cable and execute the movement you can still make them like a really good rear delt exercise um, and then i also like rear delt rows um, with a dumbbell, you can use cables too, if you have access to those. Um, yeah. Um, one thing how Emily mentioned that on her Rudolph um, face pools, her arms aren't really tracking behind her head or behind her torso at all. And this also goes for any type of back movement. Like you don't want your arm traveling past that torso line or on the midline of your midline of your body, if you will. Because again, like the lat is fully shortened or in this case, the rear delts are fully shortened right at that point. 
If you go any further back, the rear delts are already shortened to their maximum capacity, and it's going to be another muscle, such as the teres minor or the traps, to help pulling that arm further back. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, one last thing here. One last thing here. Oh, wow. I'm horrible. I just forgot it. Oh, uh, shit. Did it have to do with the rear delt rows with, like, the dumbbell? Nope, it had to do with all shoulder movements in general. Oh, okay. Okay, never mind. Just keep going. I'll probably okay. come back to me. Yeah, let me know if it comes back. Um, Yo, I'm oh, terrible. I'm so sorry. Oh, no problem. It happens to me all the time. Like, I'll be talking and I'll be like, wait, what is my birthday? Uh, what? <laughs> but like, what's my birthday? What's my middle name? Who am I? <laughs> like, I don't know. Who am I? Yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, but yeah, I was going to say when your um, rear delts are in that fully shortened position, I like to pause for a couple of seconds um, and then very slowly release, but don't like let go of the tension um, because that's where the muscle is like in its contracted position. Yep. So there's going to be a lot of tension there. So you really want to take advantage of that by giving a little pause, just one or two seconds. So um. That also goes for lateral raises and really almost any movement that you're like contracting against in that case, or like you're trying to like pull, if you will, is really holding that fully contracted position. So like the top of a lateral raise or when you're fully contracted in like a face pull like that and really just squeezing the shit out of that muscle to really stabilize that weight for a second before going back down. Yeah. It's like, are, is it kind of splitting hairs? Maybe, but I find it's very, it's helped me. It's been very beneficial. It also helps kind of with engagement a bit. So yeah heads also, up there. yeah and the eccentric for lateral raises you don't want to just let your arms come crashing down control you know? that shit yeah like a good like i don't know depending on what you're trying to get out of it maybe like two or four seconds i like three seconds so Same. yeah <laughs> Same. i rush mine but yeah yeah i do too sometimes sometimes it's more like one and a half or two seconds and i'm just like oh that does not look good that's not what i thought it was in my head so um, one thing also, last thing on shoulders here, for lateral raises, I've found personally that getting some like partial reps out after I've hit like failure, those oh. are going to be what like sends you over because like it's something that even on your own without like a training partner or a spotter, you can get those extra kind of forced reps out and you want to go your lateral delts, your medial delts, lateral delts, what the hell are those, your medial delts, like get those forced lateral, get those forced partials on your lateral raises. Yeah, I go for partials. I go until I can't even move the dumbbells like two inches. Um, um, the pump afterwards is so intense. Yeah. Like, I can't move my arms. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. 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 Oh, I figured it out. I remember it. So oh, okay. finally, here we are, guys. In any of these shoulder movements, kind of what Emily mentioned on her face pools, how she has her, um, she kind of has her shoulders kind of like protracted forward at first in the beginning of the movement. With all any type of shoulder movement here, have your scapula neutral. So you don't want to have it like in a um, a shoulder press. You don't want to have like your scapula like tucked down and back in a yeah, lateral raise. Like same, yeah, like same thing. You don't want to ever have like your um your scapula retracted backwards because that's going to very limit the range of motion and also the capacity of those muscles to really work freely. So you want to have a neutral scapula there so you can really just like have a free motion. Um. Yeah, that kind of goes across the board for all shoulder movements I found. Sometimes even for like a set, like I'll literally just like shake my shoulders out and kind of roll them around a bit until they kind of fall like naturally relax. And then I'll start my set. Yeah, me too. I also find that it helps to um, 
like warm up because I don't know, at least for me, like I do have a little bit of trouble um, connecting with my, it used to be my left delt. Now it's my right one. It's really weird. <laughs> like it just shifted from like, I don't know. So you should someone. That's why. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I like to, so I try to like warm them up separately. And then when I feel like both of them are kind of equally warmed up, if one needs more attention than the other, like, I guess that's kind of being nitpicky, but I do find that like getting some like blood into the muscles and warm feeling yeah, yeah. like the joints are like nice and loose. So like, you don't want to feel like cracking when you're you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like some people like warming up, you can almost feel that like clicking in your shoulder. Like, that's what I mean. Like if that's happening, like you need to warm up. Like this is actually like, it's very, just a very important point here. Um, work on your shoulder mobility. If you want to have longevity in the gym, just in life in general, warm up your fucking shoulders. I, since I strained my delt, I actually minorly tore my delt a few months back, which some of y'all might remember because I bitched about it for a little bit on Instagram. But since then, I warm up my shoulders before every training session. I don't care what I'm training, I warm up my shoulders. Um, and that I build a whole mobility routine with all, a few resistance bands as well as just some different movements. And they're all dynamic. So they're all training that shoulder through different planes and ranges of motion. Again, to prevent any injury to kind of help get some blood flow in there, loosen up and just get that joint mobile, as well as again, like boost its functionality across the board and, and outside of the gym. If your shoulder is ever clicking, like Emily said, like if it's just like a little like, click that you just feel, but it's not like accompanied with any pain or like anything like negative, it's okay. It's actually just that muscle rolling over the bone, which is okay acutely. However, if it ever starts causing any pain or discomfort, I highly recommend taking a few days off kind of again like gentle movement there and even reaching out to like a physical therapist to just get it checked out and just make sure everything is a-okay there because you don't want to fuck up your shoulders yeah exactly because then you can't like train your chest you can't really do any like um like pressing i didn't train my upper body for three fucking months you don't want to fuck up your shoulders that's rough yeah i only had like Yeah. I mean, I had like one issue with one of my shoulders, but that was because I think I was like overtraining them. Um, this was like a way a while back and I know I was overtraining them and my form was like messed up because I was still pressing with my elbows all the way out. So, um, yeah, (laughs) but we learn. So there's that living and learn. And we're here to tell you like what not to do. We're telling you to like, at one point, We've done these things. So we're trying to help guide you guys away from those things and prevent you from going through some of the bullshit that we've had to go through. Yeah, exactly. Injuries suck. So we're going to try and like mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super important. Um, okay, so the next one is um, meal prep tips, tricks, and hacks. I'll let you start this one off. Okay, so again, like also, like, I'm going to reference my Instagram a lot here because I just post way too much at this point, especially on my story. So I apologize if you guys are tired of seeing my face. Um, but I love meal prepping, especially because I'm a busy, I have a lot going on in my week and I'm very rarely home for longer than a few like hours at a time at this point. So especially with, like school and everything. So meal prep has been a lifesaver and it's my main way of just staying on track and also making sure that I'm getting everything I need throughout the day and I'm not never scrambling to figure something out in a pinch. Um, my f- 
favorite meal prep tips for anyone is for some people like build like making like bulk meals to like divvy out that works perfectly for them and if you can do that props to you never like don't underestimate your freezer especially in those cases my favorite and preferred method right now is i batch cook stuff in terms of like rice in terms of like my proteins in terms of i'll chop like fruits and veggies even and keep those in my fridge and then all I have to do is kind of like mix and match different meals together. Um, I always like when I make rice or like my proteins are all unflavored. So I won't put anything in my rice. I won't put anything in anything. And then when I make something, I pop in the microwave. I pull it out and make some seasoning or sauce in it. Bam, you have a new meal. Um, also here, don't, again, don't underestimate your freezer. Frozen fruits and veggies, lifesaver. Like, couldn't tell you the last time I bought fresh blueberries. I'm not going to lie. But again, like, a microwave will be your best friend and it's keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I love frozen blueberries. They taste better than fresh because they're like frozen when they're at their peak. They're so good. Um, frozen raspberries, the bottom of the bag when it's like all the crumbs of frozen raspberries and then you like put them in like oats or cream or rice, they all melt. Oh, Oh, that's so good. Oh, that shit's good. Yeah, it's amazing. It's almost like um it reminds me of like dippin' dots. I yep. used to, like I I used to like if I went to a theme park when I was younger and they had dippin' dots, like oh my gosh, I would go crazy. I love those dippin things. Dots slapped. <laughs> yeah. I wish they made like vegan ones, like especially gosh. the cookies and cream one. That was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the birthday cake one. Oh, that when was- I was younger, like we'd always go to like hockey games, like when we lived in Pittsburgh the first time, and that's a whole bag of worms. But the birthday cake dip and dots. Yeah, so good. Um, anyway, don't discount your freezer. Yeah, it's great. Um, oh yeah, okay. So I was gonna say, um, I personally like I like to prep for a few days at a time, as opposed to for like seven days, just because sometimes food can get a little slimy or soggy and you know, you want things to be nice and pleasant and as fresh as it can be. So, um, you know, that's just something I like to do, like for something like rice, like you could prep that for like, you know, five days and it would be fine. But like, if I wish rice lasted that long. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're not us, it might last that long, (laughs) but if you're like always eating, then that might be difficult. So, (laughs) um, But yeah. Oh, another thing is if you're meal prepping and you're like meal prepping for going somewhere, I think you mentioned this actually, but you said like, um, always bring extra because you don't know something so bad or I don't know, something, anything can happen. So you're better off. extra. Like, um, when I went away for Thanksgiving, I took a whole tub of rice with me. I took extra like frozen stuff, extra like veggies. Like I packed a lot of extra shit. Um, again, like with that, with meal prep, especially like getting, investing in like some good freezer bags or like insulated bags from like a grocery store, um, even just like a cooler, like a little handheld cooler, if you will, but I say like every day I go to work, like I'm always walking around like this big ass, like 24 gallon, like 24 gallon cooler, not 24 gallon, oh my God, a cooler, it's a cooler bag that's like big as shit, but again, it keeps all my stuff fresh, keeps all cold. So I don't have to worry about that, especially like on long trips. There's going to be a lifesaver for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, like make it simple, stupid in these cases. Like it doesn't have to be anything complicated. Like I know some people, they get themselves stressed out because they don't, they don't know what meals to make this week, or they don't know like how many different meals they should prep for the week. Like guys, just prep your components and just make it like simple for yourself. Like don't overcomplicate it. 
Yeah. Like I, this was a long time ago, but when I was just starting out as a coach, like one of my first few clients, she was, she loved to cook. Like she was a cake baker and she made like, you know, um, big batches of like vegan breakfast burritos and like these really fancy dishes. And she was like, how do I track this? Um, because she'd make like really elaborate things and it would be like really difficult to track. Um, and I, I tried to say like, maybe make them a little bit more simple so that it's easier to track. And then it's like less of a mystery, you know, like less ingredients and stuff. And she was like, but I really want my food to be like super interesting and like good every time. And I'm like, yes, you need like spices and flavors and sauces that will help, um, you know, make food taste better, I guess. Um, but I mean, I get it. Like I, like before bodybuilding, like I've always been really into cooking and stuff, like nothing super fancy, but, um, I've always just been like a foodie and like, I like cooking and like making food look really pretty and stuff. But, um, I don't know. I found that ever since I started like truly like, I guess eating like a bodybuilder, but like vegan in a vegan lifestyle way, I guess. Um, yeah, my food has just gotten super boring, but I really like it that way. Cause it's not really boring to me. Like it's just like food is not the center of my universe. So I just enjoy it and move on because it's really just fuel. I mean, I enjoy it too, but it's, oh, it's yeah. not the most interesting part of my day, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah. I mean, like definitely for like people who don't have a competitive like dream or like competitive goal, like meal prep those like complex burritos. Like if that aligns with you and that aligns with your goals, like meal prep those breakfast burritos. But again, like don't, if they're stressing you out, minimize them like they don't have to be super complex like meal prep doesn't have to be hard it's as hard as you make it yeah definitely so um is that everything how do you like to store your meal prep stuff like in the fridge like do you have a specific type of tupperware that you like to use or okay so yes i don't know what brand it's called i literally just get them from target um but it's essentially these little plastic containers that they have like a little rubber seal around them and they all like, they have like the snaps to them, well, clips to them. So kind of know like they're gonna be a bit more secure than just like a clip on or like a, you know, a normal like Tupperware container, if you will, like a little like lid that just kind of like presses on. So these yeah. actually like snap close. Um, again, like they're plastic and I know like it's not the best thing for you just overall. Like I definitely prefer like glass, but like those, that's just expensive. So I know Target has them, I think Walmart, if you have a Walmart near you, also should have, really any source should have these i'm not gonna lie but um yeah they're you can get like a shit ton of them for not much at all and they last yeah they're uh, dishwasher safe microwave safe don't put those in the oven because again they're plastic so don't put these in the oven but yeah and i've usually i just keep all my shit in the fridge fun fact i also keep my fridge really cold so just un- like unconsciously so if something's in the back of my free the back of my fridge for like a day or two it will freeze yeah the same thing happens with my fridge too so <laughs> yeah I've frozen yeah. all the milk in my fridge i've been too lazy to defrost so i'll try to rack guys yeah um oh okay so this next question is really good because i think we both have experience with this um it's how do i put on mass as a hard gainer um eat more <laughs> I mean it's not okay. that simple there's so, there's more to it I'm not gonna lie guys like a hard gainer I think is one of those like fitness myths that kind of just like they're buzzwords that kind of got blow up you're not a hard gainer you're just not eating enough to compensate for how much movement you're doing um 
most of us don't realize like some in cases like this most of us don't realize how active we are throughout a day and how energy expensive that can be so and this is a great place to understand when a macro calculator isn't fit for everyone because some of these people these calculators like far undershoot these for example like i always thought i was a hard gainer because i was eating exactly what the macro calculators were telling me but even a bit more however my weight stayed the same for way too damn long I'm now eating more than that macro calculator says, and I'm consistently putting on size. Um, but again, I'm eating more. I'm also doing a bit less, I'm not gonna lie, but I'm eating more in all. Yeah, I think like, I don't know, I really don't, I'm not a fan of the macro calculators. I guess I do have a personal bias too, because I've never eaten what the macro calculator says that I should, because that is so, like, what it says is my maintenance is so far below my actual maintenance that I just would never reach my goals. And I'd be um, really under eating and I'd probably feel, I'd probably be able to feel it too. So even right. though it might seem like an okay amount, like maybe it is for some people, but for me, like that just wouldn't work. So, and I think it um, definitely has application. However, you do need to understand that it is just a baseline that should be taken with a grain of salt and used as a reference point. Take that yeah. calculation and then play with it yourself. Like it's, you're not going to get perfect the first time. Like you might have to eat a bit more. You might have to eat a bit less, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would, I was going to say like, it's, it's important to track if you're not already, how much you are already eating, because some people, maybe they don't track and they're like, oh, but I'm already eating so much. It's like maybe in volume, maybe you're eating tons of veggies, but are you eating enough calories? Are you eating enough proteins and fats too? Like, I mean, it's, it's important to like actually have that honest understanding of how much you're actually eating. So I think it's a good idea to track for a couple of weeks and see, um, and don't change what you're eating, like eat how you normally do and just see what happens. Um, and also training, like it's really important to train hard, but like recover too, um, and not overdo, overdo cardio along with that. Oh yeah. I mean, also like with this, if you work a job, that's going to be a bit more hands-on, like, um, like if you're working retail, but like you're constantly like running back and forth every day, like that's going to be a higher stress load overall. So it's going to probably require that you eat a bit more because you're expending more energy throughout the day, just throughout your daily tasks. So not all of it's going to come down to just training, cardio, and then like um, what you're eating. You have to take into, this is where macro calculators can sometimes fall short because it doesn't take into account the individualization of each and every person and their lifestyle. Not to mention like their own hormonal profile right now, because again, like that's going to have an impact on your overall metabolism. Again, changing how much energy you need or might not need. Yeah, definitely. What about for people who are like, I'm already eating so much like I'm and maybe they are tracking their food and they're like, but I'm so full, like I can't possibly take another bite. Like I would say that for people like that, usually what I find the issue is, is that they're just eating too much high volume foods. Yep. So like instead of eating like tons of potatoes, potatoes are wonderful, but like maybe if that's like way too filling try some more like white rice or even cereal or like higher calorie fruits or something like, you know, like more like, uh, like bananas and mangoes, choose that more often over like strawberries. I mean, they're all great, like include it all, but what I'm oh, trying yeah. to say is like, what should take priority just so that you're getting those calories. I like pasta I because it's very like low in volume. For me, it's easy to eat like a ton of it, um, without, 
feeling like stuffed and also like bread and bagels because my calories are extremely high. And so I find those low volume foods really helpful and like maple syrup and like maple spread it like, yeah, like take advantage of that stuff. If you're like us and you need to eat a lot of food to put on muscle. I will also say like, I think there is a point when you can kind of in include like some more like processed foods in this instance. Like, again, like this is gonna be very like client independent depending on what else they have going on. But once your calories get to a certain point, eating all whole foods is gonna be very challenging. Like Emily just mentioned Because again, we also wanna be mindful of our fiber intake. So this is where like maybe having like a protein bar here and there, which is a bit more like calories to it. So it's again, like decreasing the overall volume but again, like you're still going to be getting a majority of your overall nutrition from these whole foods, but including some of these other more processed foods to kind of help fill those gaps and really just fill out that overall energy intake. Yeah, I think those, you know, if you're well into your off season or just a growing phase, even if you're not competing and like if you have the calories to do it, I think, yeah, like you said, I think it's fine to include more of those foods, even though like you might not want to include that in a cut just because you don't really have much to play with. But obviously if you're concerned with putting on muscle, like that's kind of the last thing you want to worry about. So yes, right, prioritize whole foods, get your fruits and vegetables, but just don't be like filling up your stomach space with that stuff before you oh. can like reach your calorie goal. So yeah. And also like in that case, like don't feel stuck on like, I have to have like three or four meals a day. Like you can have like six or seven meals a day. If that's going to help you get in that overall amount of calories that you need to grow. So don't feel married to a certain amount of meals. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Cause you know, if then you can like, like if you have to eat, like, I don't know, like 5,000 calories a day, imagine spreading that across like three meals. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, but that's no. sad. <laughs> no. Like, hell, like, right now, like, I do, like, six meals a day at this point, so. Yeah, I mean, do you, how, how is that working for you? Like, do you feel like it's manageable? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, there's definitely nights at work that kind of, like, will throw me off because um, just how my client load falls some days, like, it definitely pushes some meals back, and that can kind of get in a sticky situation, but, like, generally speaking, it helps kind of like again disperse that food throughout the day and kind of help just with that overall volume I guess um it also kind of helps them yeah just overall volume yeah yeah I mean that's really all you can do is just space your meals and stuff so oh. yeah um okay so uh the next person they wanted to know what our new year's resolutions and goals are um so yeah, uh, I would say that for me, like, so I'm not a huge fan of like New Year's resolutions. I know that maybe sounds like really cliche, but um, the, the reason is because I feel like every day you have that opportunity to start like tackling your goals and getting the things done that you want to do. Like, I don't think you should have this like see the new year as this like magical thing, but if for some people that really does motivate them and that's how they get started and that's actually like it works for them. Um, so that's great. Um, for me, it's just like, not how my brain works, I guess. Um, but, and also, I don't know, I like, I do, I like the aspect of like setting a goal that you want to accomplish within the next year, because I think that's good to be thinking about the long term as opposed to the short term. So I think that's something that's really positive about setting new year's resolutions. Um, 
but like be realistic though even though you still have like a year to hopefully accomplish it like for me like my last new year's resolution was to be able to do 10 pull-ups and I'm still not there yet but does that mean that I've been slacking like obviously not so um yeah just like if you don't accomplish your new year's resolution also don't beat yourself up about it so like just remember like it's not that serious if you can't do 10 pull-ups yet you know I don't know but um so yeah, I don't know, but I would say that like my general goals are um, just to continue like educating myself and growing as a coach and um, bettering my knowledge so that I can better my clients and um, give them like the best possible like help that they need. Um, and some of my other goals are like a little bit more like, I don't know, like, like mental, like personal, I guess. Um, but then my other main one is just like keep going after my goals as like an athlete and bodybuilder and um, just share my continue to share my journey with that and inspire people even if they have no hopes of like bodybuilding um, they just want to get stronger build muscle confidence lift weights all that stuff like I just I like I like to put all my stuff out there to inspire people and like just, I don't know, have an impact, like the way my Instagram is, like, I like to post with like a little bit of humor and combine it with like education. Like that's my style is just like humor to like catch your attention and make people laugh. Cause like, I don't know, I think that's fun and like therapeutic to like laugh about things oh, yeah. and like never take life like too seriously, but then like also provide education of course, and like value and everything. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's it for me. What about you? So on my end, I kind of agree with your point on like New Year's resolutions. I do, however, think that they are, I think they're beneficial because they kind of fall in line. Like for me, they're kind of, okay. To me, how I see it is my New Year's resolution is more like that mental aspect of things, like that internal like work almost, whereas my New Year's goal is a bit more like physical almost. Um, and again, like I'm not like waiting for the New Year to like make these changes. It's more of like the fact of like, throughout this it's almost like me setting intentions if you will so for me um my new year's i guess resolution if you will is to continue just like doing what i'm doing and just continue with the momentum and the path that i have set up in front of me this past year i really wasn't clear on like what i wanted to do throughout this like this past year and life kind of led me along with some different paths and i'm very thankful for those paths because again like it's been a pretty damn cool ride honestly but again like i didn't have much like structure i guess if you will so going into this new year like i want to be okay i don't want to learn this within the next year there's a lot more that i want to accomplish that i didn't accomplish this year and i want this my i guess my resolution is going to be a lot more disciplined with myself to make those happen rather than just going with the flow so adding a lot more structure and a lot more like i guess like planned out if you will like be again just be a bit more structured with my approach to things and yeah stay disciplined Goal-wise, I'm going to grow my roster, grow my own business, and pass cl my classes for school. That's all I got. Yeah, those are really good goals. Like, you know, and doing them all at the same time, too. Like, that's a lot on your uh, on your plate. And, um, yeah, so, like, that's really – those are great goals. So, yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. That's, um, wait, that's another thing is – so again, like going back to kind of how you shouldn't wait till like January 1st to like set all these things in motion, um, but you can do these each and every day. Another thing that kind of goes with that same mindset is like 
quit like cutting out the term I, I'm gonna try like oh, yeah like I, I say it all the time so I'm like um I'm an offender of this I guess if you will but like instead of like I'll try like no you're gonna do it like you're gonna try and like pass your classes like no you're gonna like put in your best effort to pass your classes like you're gonna go out and you're gonna do it you're not gonna try you're gonna do it because I feel like anytime someone says I'm gonna try like they put in a half-ass effort because they're like well it's not gonna go my way anyway no put yourself out there put your full fucking energy into it and go do the damn thing don't try do it so um yeah that's my little tangent there yeah, I completely agree. Like, if you just say that you're going to try, I feel like a little part of you has already quit and a little part yep. of you is already okay with not following through all the way. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If then it's like you already knew it was going to happen because you're just being passive about it. So you have to kind of just say like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it everything I have. And then obviously, if you could do uh, you know, better at some point, then you, then you commit to that. It's just about going as you go, not trying to think too far ahead. Just say, I'm going to control what I can today. And yeah. Yeah. Another one, another way of thinking about that would be like, step up to the plate, like fully step up to it, like step up to the challenge and just, again, like attack it with everything you've got. Don't half-ass shit. Yeah, exactly. Like pretend like it's, you know, you're trying to PR when you want to lift a weight or something like put as much effort as you'd put into your top set as you would put into these other areas of your life, assuming you put that same effort, you know, so. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the last question for this podcast which we're really excited for because we have so many notes and you've done so much like research on this but um what so they the person wanted to know like what to look for um in regards to um Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism um when it comes to blood work so yeah I fucking um, love this question I'm yeah, a fucking nerd too. about this shit like where do we even start like should we start with like gut health or the levels that, you know, um, or like the thyroid hormones that should be checked. And we like explain, um, you know, what each of these are in the first place. So no, let's start there because again, like the main question was like, what should I look for on my blood labs? So let's start with again, like what you should actually be looking for on your blood labs. And then if we have time, we can kind of go into some of like the back end things and like other things to be looking at when it comes to Hashi's as well as like hypothyroidism. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we'll start with TSH, which well, is first off, um, when you look at your blood work here, um, anytime you're looking for anything like thyroid, thyroid related, or and honestly, anytime you get like a comprehensive blood panel done, you want to get like a full thyroid panel done. So that is your TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone. You want T4, T3, um, reverse T3, which is inactive thyroid hormone. You also want to, if you can get on your TGA thyroid, yeah, your yeah. thyroid um, globulin, as well as your thyroid peroxidase and their antibodies. So TPOAB and TGB, TGBAB, or is it TGAB? It's TGAB, sorry. And then the other is TPOAB. Yeah, um, because those both antibodies are going to be the main, like, those two are going to be, like, the two main markers, like, signaling that, like, hey, you got Hashis or you don't got Hashis. Whereas the kind of like um, the main thyroid hormones like T4, T3, RT3, and TSH are going to kind of point more on the hypothyroid end of things. 
but they both, again, they play into each other here. It's all part of the same system. Yeah. So just a brief overview of like what Hashimoto's disease is in the first place. Like basically it just means that someone has an underactive thyroid. So, um, you know, the thyroid becomes slow and it basically stops producing T3 and um, or T4. And that also can affect the metabolism. Um, so sometimes there's like symptoms like, you know, weight gain, trouble, losing weight, um, there's digestion issues, fatigue, um, things like that. Like those are often like very typical symptoms. Another thing with Hashi's is it truly is an autoimmune disorder disease, yeah. if you will. So yes, it's going to lead to a hypo, um, hypothyroidism and an underactive thyroid, but it also is essentially the body almost like turning on the thyroid itself. It's essentially attacking the thyroid through um, the thyroid gobulin, thyroid gobulin, thyroid gobulin, I can't even say that. And um, the thyroid peroxidase, like it's essentially the body's attacking these different systems because it sees it as a threat almost. How this happens is it's going to be a lot of like genetic predisposition as well as there is some gut health involved here that again, like we'll get into it if we have time, but essentially it's like the body is turning on the thyroid, starting to like fire guns at itself, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, okay. So we're, I'll start with TSH, which that, and these Top are the things. Chain. Yeah, these are the things that you want to check, um, make sure that the blood work is checking for. So that would, so TSH is your um, thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, and basically what that is, it's a marker to find how high the T3 and T4 should be. Um, and so oftentimes when you get these checked, um, the range will be very high. Um, and that is usually, that can be a sign that something could be off. Um, and so optimal range for this would be around like one to 2.5. That's optimal. However, the, um, what is considered a normal range is actually 0 0.4 to 4.0. Um, but just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's optimal. And like, again, we're not doctors. However, um, you know, sometimes doctors won't necessarily flag something, e even if it's in the normal range but just because it's normal does not mean that it's optimal. So just remember to advocate for yourself. If you know, you see something that's um, you feel is off and, you know, ask your doctor to like explain this if they will. So, yeah. So when we're going through here, we're going to mention the optimal range as well as the general, like the standard medical reference range. The standard medical reference range is going to be what is on like your blood labs. And that's going to be kind of what is determined. That's going to determine if something is flagged high or low, again, in that medical reference range. However, as Emily just mentioned, that range is going to be of a larger range than what we're looking for. Uh, the optimal range is what has been found to be like the optimal functioning range for these different um, markers. So again, like for TSH, that optimal range is one to 2.5. So if you come to me and like your TSH is being flagged at like four, it's technically in range. However, it is pointing that you have possibly an underactive thyroid or something's not converting correctly, causing your pituitary gland to be output, outputting a lot more TSH than is actually necessary for your body. Yeah. Uh -huh. So with that, going into T4. So TSH is going to be released from the um, pituitary gland, stimulating the, the thyroid to um, produce T4 and T3. Primarily, this main production is going to be T4, which is then converted to T3 down the line. T4 is going to be like almost like inactive thyroid hormone. It's essentially going to be like a storage 
for the thyroid hormone. And it needs to be converted to T3, active thyroid hormone, to be actually usable by the body and its different functions. Um, T4, you're gonna want like, I can't remember what the exact um, reference range is, but you're kind of want like the middle of that range. Um, again, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head here. Do you? I think it's, yeah, it's like 2.2 to three. So like usually somewhere in the threes, I'm pretty yeah. sure is what is good. Yeah, like you don't want anything really like below three. Um, because again, that's gonna show that your thyroid is underproducing the storage hormone, which is the precursor to active thyroid hormone. So you're already like, again, you're, you can kind of see when you, when you piece these together, where in the system something might be happening. Yeah, um, why it's good to check like all of these different levels so that you can kind okay. of connect the dots from each one to get a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, so again, like TSH is gonna stimulate the thyroid to produce T4. Um, the TSH range so far is one to two. T4 is gonna be in that three, three to four range, if you will. Yeah. Um, okay, so then for T3, that is the um, active thyroid hormone. Um, and that's the hormone that is related to regulating the metabolism and the heart. Um, that's, it's also known as, I'm going to butcher the saying, it's like triiothyronine, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. It's spelled with two eyes that really threw me off, but yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, and that is, um, the main thing to look at, like when you're assessing thyroid health, um, you know, that's just, well, obviously you want to look at all these things, but you definitely want to check the T3 levels. Um, yeah, because that is related to the metabolism and the heart and obviously very important things in the body. So yeah. Um, do you have anything yeah. to add to that one? Or Yeah. So with T3, um, again, this is going to be your active thyroid hormone. So when you have lower T3, that is essentially going to be when you have that hypothyroidism, or if you have a high T3, that's where you get hyperthyroidism, if you will. Um, again, like the conversion to T4 to T3 usually happens within the gut or the liver, and it's essentially, uh, I'm going to back this up, actually. So T4 and T3, it's a tyrosine amino acid um, tied to either four iodine molecules or three iodine molecules. So T4, when it, when it drops one of those um, iodine molecules, turns into T3, again, active thyroid hormone. Um, so with this as well, T4 can, again, it converts to T3. It can also convert to what is called RT3 or reverse T3, which is inactive thyroid hormone. It essentially is kind of like a waste product, if you will. Um, again, that's a very generalized term, but this can, like, most often you'll see a low T3, but a higher RT3, but you can also see like a normal T3, but still a high RT3, which is saying that the conversion to T3 is kind of more ineffective. Um, and essentially what that's saying is, actually, do you want me to just go fully into reverse T3 here? Yeah, sure. I mean, I have some basic notes, you know, like it has to do with um, like stress and inflammation and yeah. kind of how the body responds to the fight or flight you know, response essentially. So yeah. And yeah. then I'll go over like the range, the ranges and everything. So. Okay. Um, well, I mean the range for, um, RT3, you want it under 16. Yes. Really anything yes. over six, even like 15 to 16 and up, that's when you're going to kind of have like a conversion issue there. Um, again, this can be T4 converting to RT3 instead of T3 can be a stress issue an inflammation issue. It's essentially like 
your body saying, I'm going too fast, like there's too much happening here. So I need to slow itself down. So instead of like, again, that metabolically active T3, it's going to slow down to that inactive RT3. Yeah. So like, you know, I guess people watching or listening to this might be like, so how the heck do you like fix these things? Um, and definitely as far as the, um, I mean, this applies to everything, but like a big thing is like reducing stress and, you know, um, lifestyle factors. So that might mean doing things like, you know, a lot less, like if you're someone who's getting like 30,000 steps a day, like that's not going to work anymore. Like that's really not good for you. Um, you know, you, if you've been under eating for a long time, you'll probably have to eat more. Um, so those are just some things to think about. Again, like we'll probably go, we're going to do a whole thyroid episode in the future here. Um, yeah. one last two, one last thing, sorry, that you want to look on blood work is going to be your, um, something that I mentioned before your TPOAB, which is going to be your thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Thyroid peroxidase, um, TPO is one of the hormones or one of the, um, compound in your thyroid itself that is going to kind of, um, again, like going into this very briefly, just again, like very generalized, it's essentially what helps produce T4 and T3 in the thyroid. Um, so these antibodies are essentially attacking this and again, like destroying the thyroid's function overall. And this is going to be like the main marker for Hashimoto's. I think the reference, I think it's anything four to, I think, 30, four yeah, to 30. Where, yeah, that's where it could be a problem. So, yeah, so you want to make really you want those under, under four. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases with Hashimoto's, you're going to see these numbers very highly elevated. Because again, like you have full on like Hashi's going to be kind of like full rampage, if you will. So again, like through, and we'll get into this in a different episode, management and different like lifestyle and dietary and even supplementation changes. Your goal is eventually to bring these numbers down into under even like that 60 range and below is ideal in a case like that. However, again, like if you're just looking up blood work here and you get your TPOB tested, four to 30 is kind of cause for concern and signaling that there might be an issue here. Under four is going to be you're pretty okay. Um, With that, Hashis can take time to develop. And again, as I mentioned before, it is highly genetic. So most people are going to have a genetic disposition to it. Um, And again, it is an autoimmune disease. So it's not something that you can ever get rid of. But again, like through the proper lifestyle habits and um, supplementation, dietary changes and just adjustments, it can be very manageable. Um, I'm trying to think what else did I want to go in here? Did you have anything else here? Um, just like one quick thing that I do want to add is, um, like if you have not been, um, like diagnosed with Hashimoto's, but you do have like goiter, which is like when your thyroid gland becomes enlarged, um, that might be, um, a sign that it's something you might want to get checked. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. your thyroid function, you may want to get those blood tests run, um, just because that can be a sign that you have it. So just, um, you know, obviously not diagnosing it or anything like that, but if you do have goiter, um, it's just something to check just to, you know, put yourself, your mind at ease and just get it checked out. So, yeah. Yeah. So again, like to answer that question, I guess, like wrap that up when looking at your blood labs, you want to make sure you're getting TSH, T4, T3, RT3, and if possible, your TPOAB done. Um, again, when looking at this, your TSH, you want between that one and two range. T4 is going to be kind of like that midline. So like three to four-ish. Same as T3. You want kind of like the middle of the range there. 
RT3, you kind of want below 15, 16. And then your TPOB, preferably like you, we want that under four, where four to 30 is cause for concern. And then anything above that, again, is very concerning. Also um, the um, thyroglobulin, um, yeah. that could be an earlier marker of Hashimoto's. Um, and so the reference range for that is um, under 20 is usually a pretty good range. So, so yeah. fun fact here, right? Toward the beginning of like Hashi's onset, your TGB, your thyroid globulin is going to be higher while your TPOAB is going to be a bit lower. However, as it progresses, those values are going to switch to the point where your TGB is going to be kind of lower, but your, again, your TPOAB is going to be highly elevated. So um, again, like it's definitely, that's a very, very brief, brief, um, again, like blanket, just overview of that there. It's definitely a lot more in depth. There's a lot more different functions and different factors that go into that and that are going to play a major factor in this. And it's something that you really shouldn't be going about alone. Um, again, like work with a doctor here, but also someone who is knowledgeable on the factor is going to be extremely beneficial for you and your longevity. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't be trying to read your own blood work. Um, you, it's really, it's best to find a doctor that is, um, well-educated on this stuff, especially like thyroid health in particular, some doctors, that's not like the thing that they are the most well-versed with. So it's just important to just make sure that your doctor understands this hopefully. So yeah. yeah. And a coach that understands it. Cause like, again, work with a doctor here, but also like working with a coach who does understand like how the different things can help mitigate some of its effects and manage it better is going to be extremely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. These, yeah. I mean, like the way that you can manage it, like we're going to do a whole podcast on this because you know, hopefully someone listening can benefit from this because that's kind of the whole point of our podcast. Um, but yeah, we'll go into, you know, like lifestyle, diet, training, um, stress management, all that stuff. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So thank you all for joining and joining 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 us on our first QA podcast. If you like what you heard today, take a screenshot tag us on Instagram and let us know what you liked, disliked, or if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for us. If you're interested in coaching by either of us, hit us up on Instagram. 